This is Emily Nyman, and you're listening to Breaking Balls. Welcome to episode 79 of Breaking Balls. I'm your host, Emily Nyman. I'm, of course, joined by my co-host, John Snyder. You can find us on Twitter at BreakBallsPod. Or if you're feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call. 631-820-7377. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of this past week of MLB, starting next week, we will be going back to our old recording and release schedule. We figured we might as well wait till the wildcard games are finished, and to do that, we have to then record on Thursday. So we said, you know what? We were going to switch in the offseason anyway. Let's just get it started right now. So, I mean, you guys got to brace yourselves. That means that you're going to be hearing the episodes on Saturdays now, which means there will be a stretch, are you sitting down, of nine days without a Breaking Balls episode. (gasps) Don't worry, you guys will be okay. And now back to the matter at hand. The Yankees really went up to Fenway and swept Boston. They silenced the crowd multiple times, and by they... I mean, Aaron James Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. John, I don't even know where to fucking begin with this series. Beyond Stanton hit like a thousand feet worth of home runs. Well, well, first off, does Giancarlo have a middle name? Because when you say it that way, next to Judge's full name, it sounds like you're saying his name is John Carlo Stanton. I'm pretty sure his just, name just is... Just for posterity. I'm pretty sure his name is Giancarlo Michael Stanton. Oh, so That's we where the Mike Stanton... Back. Yeah, I, oh, something okay. like that. Either way, he had a historic run at Fenway. Literally, okay, so I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm very excited, everybody, as you can tell. And we're still days away from that. And I'm like still not any less excited than I was on oh, Sunday night. Guys, just for for a little perspective here. So I work on weekends, if you recall. So I wasn't able to watch any of this live. I wish I was. I wasn't able to watch the Mets live either. But that actually wound up being a good thing. We'll get into that later. Point being, Emily was so excited to be the one to show me, especially the sequence leading up to that Stanton Grand Slam from Saturday. She she was giddy. And by extension, I'm giddy like watching this because just like knowing what's going to happen like <laughs> when like when Gardner's down like one two and it's like oh it, the crowd had that sound that like oh it's over he's about to strike him out like whatever and it's like no nope, get let him on and then another one on then you're gonna change pitchers and then you're gonna throw a meatball right down the middle to Stanton like are you fucking crazy well I've never loved the three batter minimum rule more than I have since the Yankees right. have gotten some lefties in their lineup because you go all in on that, right? You get oh, that yeah. lefty out or you're fucked. Yeah. I mean, well, before we get to game two, game one was Evaldi, who's been elite. He's been one of the best pitchers in the American League this year. And this was going to be an intense head to head matchup. Evaldi versus Cole at Fenway, a lot on the line. And dude, I couldn't believe Evaldi took a big dump on the field. The Yankees scored seven runs off of him in 2.2 innings when he eventually had to be taken out of the game after he had totally fallen apart and the Red Sox just couldn't recover after that. Now this was also, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't the Sox have a streak coming into that game? 
like six, seven games in a row. They yes, because they like were that. wearing those stupid yellow uniforms. And they were like, we're not going to take these off. They said that we could wear it in the World Series. Like they were like already getting approval for the World Series to be able to wear these yellow uniforms because apparently they were just going to win from now until then. <laughs> I remember that too because they wore them in both the games against the Mets that preceded that series. And I remember in the second one, I was complaining like, how are they allowed to wear these twice in a row when the Mets got those awesome black jerseys back and they're like, yeah, you can wear it the last four Fridays of the season. Doesn't matter if you win in it. You're done. Like, fuck you. Also, those, not for nothing, brief aside, I know we don't like to talk jerseys too much. Those have to be the most hideous of those city connect, whatever, like not even remotely the right colors. Just I'm, I'm, I'm salty in general, but like they just, they, they looked extra shitty this week is all I'm saying. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And they looked even shittier uh, watching Kyle Schwarber play first base. Like he yeah. has never <laughs> seen a baseball field in his life pop up to first base. He literally looks up at it. Then looked over at Rafael Devers, who if everyone listening remembers correctly, plays third base looking at him like, you're going to get this, right? So Devers like ran across the field and they both just watched it drop and hit the ground. But I digress. Uh, you're welcome because clearly the Mets were the punching bag that Kyle Schwarber used to get out whatever he had left in the tank for the rest of the season because he had nothing left after he killed us those two games. Yeah, he did not do much. I mean, the entire Red Sox lineup didn't really do too much. They scored nine runs the entire series, three each night. Now on Saturday night, the Yankees were losing 2-1 going into the eighth inning. Tanner Hoke comes in in relief. He gets the first two outs of the inning pretty quickly. Tyler Wade came in to pinch run, ran into an out, and just tried to steal, just did not do a good job. The inning was not going well. Gardy then gets up, and now turns out Brett Gardner, for all the shit I've talked about him, he's had an elite second half, and he apparently sees more pitches per at-bat than any player in the league, which is really saying something. And to be honest, the eye test tells me that that makes sense because I've seen him battle and have like six, seven, eight, nine pitch at-bats. So this was another one of those. But like John said earlier, it got to a point where he was one, two, there was two outs, and you're thinking, all right, this inning's going to be over within the next minute or so. Nope. He then walked Gardner. Then he walked DJ LeMayhew. They take him out of the game. They bring in a lefty because now Rizzo's up. So your Cora, you're thinking, all right, I'm going to bring in my lefty specialist. He's going to get Rizzo out. This inning's going to be over. Risking the three batter minimum rule. So this guy comes in. I'd never heard of him before. Darwinson Hernandez. His one job was to get Rizzo. Instead, he hits Rizzo in the knee and puts him on first base. So <laughs> now the Red Sox are in a little bit of a dilemma. They can't take him out of the game. Stanton is up to the plate. And Stanton had already hit a home run the night before. Stanton has been hot all year, and he's heating up now. Cora literally runs out onto the field and I guess just gives a pep talk of sorts, probably saying, hey, whatever you do, don't fucking throw this ball right down the center of the plate. So he says, okay, coach, I got it. The inning continues. The first pitch, Stanton hits to fucking Mars. Dude, I've watched a lot of Yankees-Red Sox games. I've never, first of all, been that shocked because it happened so quickly. And 
the stadium was just like, uh, watching the ball sail over and out of the stadium over the Green Monster and seeing the Red Sox fans on the wall, just like, uh, well, like not even sure what to do. It was fucking amazing. Well, you pointed out to me too that it was even more surprising in that it was first pitch because Stanton tends to lay off and let alone getting that kind of just like right down the middle. Like he must've been sitting fastball. There, there's no other way. Oh yeah, he was sitting fastball all day. He knew that Hernandez was desperate to throw a strike. Because he came in there to do a job, he did not do his job, he did the opposite of what his job is supposed to be, so he knew that he was thinking, Stanton's going to take a pitch, going to you know see if I'm rattled, I'm just going to throw this for a strike, and Stanton was just ready for it. I've never seen something happen so quickly, like, the Red, we almost played the Red Sox uh, broadcast call of that home run, because it was hilarious. You hear Eckersley like, oh my god. God. And then Stanton runs around. They're like, that's just a grand slam. You almost don't know what to say. So here's Stanton with the bases loaded. There was a little tension here, to say the least. He's one for two with a single. He's also walked. No place to put him. Two down. Swing oh. Fly ball, he hits oh this one a mile. Oh my God! Stanton with a grand slam. You almost don't know what to say. And it's very rare that the opposing team's call is worth mentioning on a home run that goes against them. So that just... I just love that, like, your whole job is to just find something to say in every situation. And it was really funny with watching with John. First of all, I was jealous that he was seeing this inning. And we also watched the eighth inning from game three because there was a similar situation that happened. We'll get into that in a second. It was very funny because when the game was happening, I obviously wasn't paying attention to the crowd behind home plate or any of that noise. But because I'd already seen this, I'm then looking at the people behind the plate and there was someone who was standing up, a Red Sox fan, doing like the strikeout motion that the umpires do along with the ump. Like you could see that like they were buzzing, thinking that this was about to go into the bottom of the eighth and then they were going to win this game in the ninth. Like seeing all that air come out of their balloon, it was so satisfying. I haven't been this excited about a series probably since the 2017 ALDS when the Yankees shocked the world and beat the Indians in five games. So we're talking four years here. I, yeah, yeah. It's been a long wait. It's <laughs> been tough, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, things got very spicy on Sunday night. So not only was A-Rod extra dumb, and you guys know I love this man, but he may have said some of the dumbest things I've heard him say on a Sunday night broadcast, and that is saying quite a bit. <gasps> Blasphemy! Now, a Yankees pitcher was in, I think, I can't remember who it was. It might have been, oh, it was Montgomery, the starter. He's starting to show signs of fatigue. A-Rod then is saying that they should leave him in because that's how you turn a pitcher into, you know, and then he starts listing off like Hall of Fame pitchers, like as if being kept in a game after their talent or their strength has expired is what turns someone into Roger Clemens or Greg Maddox. It made no sense. But then he kept mentioning it, and then they would change the subject, and he would go back and bring it up again. (laughs) It's like, like, uh, what, you're not even going to give him the chance to be Roger Clemens? Like, he's got to fall on his face repeatedly 
before he finds out that he can't do that. And he literally said these words that, well, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was something along the lines of... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> he literally said these words. No, I'm paraphrasing, but... He said, like, the, the win or the loss doesn't matter. Like, as if this win didn't matter. What matters more is making sure that Jordan Montgomery can pitch into the sixth inning. Like, I don't even know what his point was. It was nonsensical. I feel like there's an aspect with A-Rod where, like, I was just making fun of the Red Sox announcers for, like, you know, your job is to have something to say, and you're all well, I don't even know what to say. I feel like A-Rod, there's times when he absolutely has valuable insight, but there's a lot of times where I feel like he feels like, I'm sitting here, I'm being paid to be here, I have to say something, so saying something is better than sitting here silently, and I'm just going to throw shit at the wall, see what sticks, because I'm A-Rod, so who cares? I, I get that vibe from him a lot. Yeah, that is why he is a thousand times better on Fox when he is an in-studio analyst. Before the postseason games, after the postseason games, those broadcasts, he's fantastic because he's only on the mic for a short period of time and he's sharing the time with like four or five other people. I was going to say, I wonder too if there's something to having A-Rod in a room with at least another former player. Right, versus like Matty V and Buster Olney, who are just two dorks, right? Like, and so I think A Rod tries to maybe play more of a role on ESPN versus like you get him sitting across from Big Poppy, and at the end of the day, it's just two fucking amazing baseball players talking baseball, which will eat up all day. So that, that could be part of the equation. I think it is, and I think that because he is the only analyst as far as being a former player in that broadcast booth, he's then trying to analyze things like fucking pitching. And it's like, A-Rod, listen, just stick to what's in your wheelhouse, all right, buddy? Bunt singles. Just kidding. <laughs> Hitting in general. Yeah, go, go back to criticizing home runs, the thing that made you great. So back to game three. Once again, we were in the eighth inning, and there were some fireworks. I think DJ LeMahieu walked again, which is a fucking miracle in and of itself. This guy never walks two games in a row. Rizzo hits a double. He and LeMahieu are in scoring position. Then Aaron Judge is up. And former Yankee Adam Ottavino is brought into the game at this point to pitch to Judge and then to pitch to Stanton. So he gets Judge down in the count. Judge, I think, was maybe a 1-2, 2-2 count or whatever. And Judge swings through a pitch and foul tips the ball right into Vasquez's glove. Now, in real time, it appeared as if Vasquez couldn't handle the foul tip. So Joe West, who was behind home play, who was calling an awful game up to this point, as you can all imagine, he then throws his hands up foul ball and basically saying, judge isn't out, he gets to stay in the box. Upon slow-mo review, it was very clear that Vasquez dropped this ball on the transfer. Now, this is not a reviewable play. There's some language for the reasons why it's not reviewable, but I'm not sure what it is at this very moment. And you know, like th this is one. T I, I wish we had Max. Maybe he could explain, like, "Hey, this is why this is you can't review this, stupid." But I, <laughs> I don't know. And there's there's something to be said for like if it's that obvious on the broadcast, right? Just watching a regular replay. There's not somebody in New York that's like watching that that can trigger an official replay. I don't know. Maybe I'm watching too much football. I might be too much in football mode right now. Mets season is dead. I mean, I w that's my excuse. But if you know that they fucked it up. As long as it's not a ball and strike call, why can't that come from the league offices? I think it's probably because it is a ball and strike call. You know, so then it's like, 
Joe West punched out a few Yankees and Red Sox on balls that were three inches off the plate. So it's like, if you're going to do it for that, then why uh, not for that? You yeah, know, it's like no, the same I, thing. No, you're not wrong. Like, I get that it would fall under the purview of balls and strikes, but it doesn't feel like it. You know what right. I mean? It yeah, because it's it, slightly It feels different. gross. But you know, it's Joe West. It always feels gross with Joe West. So par for the course, right? Exactly. Like, we were all ready for a shit show. Fortunately for us Yankee fans, it went in our favor at this point in time. So Judge gets another life. And mind you, this was his third <laughs> life, this at bat. Sometimes in these conversations, you start saying like we and our, and I feel like Bender from Futurama is like, What do you mean we, mammal? What do you mean we, mammal? <laughs> so Judge at this point had already gotten like two or three lives because Bobby Dahlbeck, another shitty first baseman for the Red Sox, he could not handle Yeah, he could not handle a, a foul pop that Judge had down the line, so he got that life there. So now here we are. The next pitch, Ottavino throws a slider that did not slide. Actually, no, this was a fastball that didn't go anywhere besides a the center of the plate. That didn't fast. Yeah, right down the center. <laughs> Judge splits the outfielders, two run double. They take the lead. Three two. Stanton steps into the box. Takes a slider for a ball, then the next pitch, another slider. This one is the one that did not slide. Stanton once again hit the ball to the fucking moon over the Green Monster onto Lansdowne Street. This man assaulted Lansdowne Street like none other this weekend. It's <laughs> it's like a children's book, like the slider that didn't slide. <laughs> By Adam Adovino. By Adam Adovino. Oh, no. It was really funny because Adovino, obviously, he can be elite, but it was funny now in hindsight that he's the one that ended up blowing that game because the Yankees literally paid the Red Sox to take this man. So, like, it was just so poetic for Brian Cashman's sake that he oh, then ended so the up blowing this. so the fix is in, huh? Yeah. yeah, okay. All right, I see it. He's like, I'm going to give you him and 400 grand. Please play him in that last series. We need this. <laughs> So Stanton, I mean, Judge had a great series and, and he got overshadowed by Stanton because Stanton, now he was seven for 13. He had a double, three home runs, 10 RBI, and he left zero men on base. No Yankee in Yankee history has gone to Fenway and had more RBI in a three-game series. He is now at the top of that list ahead of Joe D in second place with nine and Matsui, who I was surprised to see in third place, had eight RBI at Fenway one point. There's got to be so, – we definitely just lost, like, one random listener out there. Like, Are you saying he's better – nobody's better than Joe DiMaggio. <laughs> Joe and Joe wouldn't take this. Now, it's 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 worth noting while we're talking about Stanton, he, uh, he kept that home run streak going tonight. He is hot as fuck right now. Oh, my God. Yeah, he hit a three-run home run tonight uh, versus Toronto. Judge also hit a home run in earlier in the game to tie it. Stanton's home run blew the game open. I think the Yankees were winning 3-2 at that point. They actually just wrapped it up. They won 7-2, so they are now two games up in the wild card on Boston. And a huge, huge shout-out to the Baltimore Orioles for defeating the Boston <laughs> Red Sox. And you know who got that L? Chris Sale. I love that. I mean, I'm glad he came back from injury. You want to see guys succeed, but... That partisan part of me aside, seeing Sale, their ace, lose this important game to the fucking Orioles after he did not pitch versus the Yankees is just like, it's the best, John. I really don't know what else to say. I'll, I'll just add that the partisan part of me sounds like an indie rock album circa like 2003. 
so now the Yankees are what? Two games up in the wild card. Yep. Boston and Toronto, they basically, I think they stay put in their spots. Yeah, we got Toronto and Seattle are now both one game behind in the wild card. And uh, Oakland is three behind. And they're playing the Mariners tonight. Oh, yeah, that's right. Last night was a laugher. The Mariners absolutely demolished Oakland. Oakland oh, is... Yeah. It was like Oakland 13, is, 4 or something like that. Yeah, Mitch Hanniger hit two home runs. It was crazy. Oakland, I'm pretty sure, is choking big time. Oh, no. They've only lost one, which was last night. I'm thinking of the Astros, I think. Well, yeah, no, but I mean, they're not... I mean, choking as far as what you need to do to make this playoff spot, they're 5-5 five and five in the last 10 games. Seattle's 8-2 and two in their last 10 games, so... Yeah, Seattle's making a serious push, and... I mean, what would actually be kind of funny, so last I checked, the Rays are playing Houston. Now, we don't give a shit what the Rays are doing at this point because they've already won the division, so there's nothing that they can do besides beat the Yankees this coming weekend to fuck up things for us this Actually, week. I agree with that, We I don't care about the Rays either. Keep going. <laughs> and last I checked, they were winning 2-1 in the top of the eighth playing Houston. Now, Houston has lost four straight, and... They could possibly, they could potentially, which I think would be shocking. I don't think this will happen. They're too good of a team. But right now, they could potentially lose themselves out of the playoffs. Their their division is getting now that close, especially because Oakland and Seattle are playing each other. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of treading water in a similar way that Oakland is. But, I mean, that said, they do have, you know, four, four and a half game lead on Seattle right now, uh, six and a half on Oakland. So, I mean... They would definitely need to lose out. I mean, they're, uh, that game is actually 3-2 now in the ninth, and the Astros have somebody on. So it Are is they far- winning 3-2? Uh, no, the Rays are winning 3-2. It's bottom nine, but Astros have somebody on with nobody out. So it's not quite over yet, but yeah, I, I'll put it this way. I was going to say the lead's been enough that like I've mentally kind of like slotted Houston in the AL West division champ slot for a couple weeks now. I would be shocked if they don't get it at this point. But it also comes down to, like, you guys are going to have to deal with this next. The Rays, right? The Rays are in the position that the Astros want to be in, which is it's locked up. It's a done deal. They're in. They got the division. So now you're kind of, it's that mix of you got to rest some guys, but some guys benefit from, you know, keep playing every day. It's it's going to be a mix of stuff, and you don't really know what you're going to get, which makes it tough for the Yankees in the series after the Jays. They end the season with three against the Rays. If I'm the Rays, the two teams that I don't want to play the most are probably the Yankees and the Blue Jays. So while the temptation is there to maybe rest some guys or whatever, if I'm the Rays, I'm trying to play and beat the Yankees because I would rather see any other team besides them in the divisional series. Now, hopefully the Yankees can sweep Toronto. We have Cole tomorrow night, and then uh, we have... I think they're throwing Kluber the day after that. Usually Nestor pitches after Cole, but I guess they're going to switch it up. They're trying to line things up for a potential postseason showdown, which obviously they're going to have to pitch Cole. So this is probably going to this is going to be Cole's last start, I would imagine, until hopefully the wild card game on Tuesday. And I mean, that's assuming that Cortez doesn't contract Salmonella from that turtle that's been running wild around the Yankees clubhouse the last week. Bronxy. Bronxy. I mean, that is the kind of name that I would pick out because I'm so not creative when it comes to that shit. So I absolutely love Bronxy. You you named your cat Apollo. That's at least somewhat creative. Like Bronxy? Come on. Name him after a Ninja Turtle or something. The best part was 
ESPN writes an entire article on it. I mean, can you imagine? We've all, we're humans. We live in this world. No one gives a shit about us. This fucking turtle has an article written, a, an opinion piece written about it in ESPN, like the day after it's adopted by the Yankees. Well, I got a kick out of it too. Somebody on Twitter pointed out that it's just this one, like, grainy, blurry picture of him. That was me. That's cir- that's circ- that was you. Yeah, that was circulating. <laughs> And in that article from ESPN, it was talking about like, oh, everyone's really excited. Like Nestor and a few of the other guys wanted to get a pet and they all helped taking care of it. And, you know, even DJ LeMahieu, who is said to just like staring at Bronxy, he looks like the kind of guy that just stares at things, like has no real thoughts going on in his head, just stares at something. I feel like that's why he was so good in Colorado. Like you're done with the game, you step outside and just got those mountains and you can just stare at them silently for hours and then you got to play baseball again what a life so now Bronxy is 7-0 and since they got him he was 6-0 and <laughs> going into this game he's 7-0 and they could not bring him to Toronto he did take the trip to Fenway but he was unable to get through customs so they had to leave him back in the clubhouse and apparently somebody is taking care of him wait is that is that serious yes that is dead serious <laughs> that's really fun <laughs> so that's how the American League is shaping up the Yankees are in pretty good position right now. Uh, hopefully they can continue that. Um, the Mets, I mean, John, you want to fill us in here about how the Mets are doing in all this? Yeah, uh, DJ Bingington, uh, a little mood music, if you'd be so kind. All right, so finally happened. The seemingly inevitable. The Mets have been mathematically eliminated from the postseason. The collapse is complete. It was agonizing. It was months long. They actually, I mean, they're the record-setting Mets now. Get a load of this. They are the first team to have spent 103 days in first place and finished the season with a sub-500 record. That's talent. That sums up everything to me. That's, that's the story of this season, is exactly that. You know, another thing I, I really liked, uh, this is kind of like, I remember from Super Troopers, when they're on the computer looking at whatever the picture was, and Rambothorn's just like, Enhance. 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 Tap, 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 tap. Enhance. Tap, tap. That's like this, right? So look at the Mets' second half, right? Since the All-Star break. Uh, this is not including tonight, because, yeah, they won two from the Marlins, who gives a shit? We're talking about games that matter here. So this is prior to tonight, Tuesday's results. They were 25 and 42 in the second half. Not good. Let's zoom in a little bit. Enhance. They were 8 and 15 in September. That's worse. Enhance. They were 1 and 10 since they beat the Yankees in the Subway Series. Three straight sweeps. We got swept by the Cards. We got swept by the Red Sox. We got swept by the Brewers. You know what? I I need to apologize because I've been using the term free fall for a couple weeks now, and it really undermines what they did this last week, which was a true free fall of just sweep, sweep, (laughs) sweep. Let's lose all these games. Like... Uh, Which, especially up against the Cardinals, who have now won 16 straight on the verge of winning oh, their 17th goodness. in a row. Like, in the Mets' defense, even if they had played better, they're not competing with that. No team is literally no. able to compete with that. And that's, I mean, you know, those three teams they just got swept by, all potential playoff teams, you know. And the season, it, it was made rougher in some ways, both how slow and agonizing the decline was 
but it never really reversed course. Like it was a steady decline. And the whole time, the play, I know that as, as a major league player, you know, you gotta, you gotta believe in yourself. You gotta believe in the team. But especially now that it's all over, those, hey, you know, stick with us. We got this. Believe in us. Well, you know what? I did. And <laughs> now we're a week away from playing golf. Now so. what? Yeah, now what? Um, yeah, so, you know, just to, because they, they don't even deserve a long segment right now. So just to wrap this up, I'm looking forward to the, to the offseason now. I really am. And don't get me wrong. I'm excited about the postseason. I'm excited about all the stuff that we've coming up on the pod. But as far as the Mets go, and we'll talk about this after the postseason, I, I need a break. And I'm sure some other people do too. It feels like things went so south that it, it, it was so bad, it's almost like good now, right? Like it was so bad that there's almost this sense of optimism. Like it's almost a blank slate, especially like with the front office. Can only go up from here. Guys. That's what I'm saying. It can't be worse than this, right? And now you have that on recording. So I'm sure that's going to come back <laughs> to bite me next year. There's some blackmail for you. Um, my disappointment is so complete and has been in motion for a while now that when it actually happened, like I said, I wasn't able to watch any of it because I was working all weekend. So it was just kind of like, oh, all right. They rolled over and died again. And now it's really like, all right, Cohen, you're the owner. This is your first full off season, right? No purchasing the team. No, like, let's see what we have. Let's see what happens. You know, I'm cautiously optimistic and, you know, maybe I'm stupid for feeling that way after what happened this season. But you know what? If, if it really is different, like I've been espousing this entire year, if things really are different in Queens, this is when we're going to start seeing it. So, cautiously optimistic. I'm buckled up for the ride. Let's fucking go. But Mets, I love you guys, but I need a break. <laughs> I need a month. <laughs> and I totally feel you because I'm right there with you as far as like the players needing to be confident and needing to talk themselves up. That's what up. I'm saying. I never begrudged it. You know what I mean? Right. But in retrospect. Well, and especially now having the perspective of the year that Stanton has had and especially this past weekend, like... I'm so happy for him because this guy has been booed. He's been motherfucked by fans. He was injured. He's really dealt with a lot. And he never made excuses. He yeah. never got on camera and gave us any of that. I'm working, you know, never. He just went out there and, and took took his lumps. And now he's arrived in a sense. Well, he did last postseason. But seeing him come through like that, it's like, that's why just – Take it. Just take the lumps. Same thing with the thumbs down. It's funny and fans overreacted to it. But, like, that's why it was on some, just fucking take these lumps, guys. Like, you're not playing well. It's not like they're getting on you because you're having a bad weekend. You're having a bad second half. Right. And, and honestly, I'm, one of the specific things I'm optimistic about is that I really do think that Lindor needed time to adjust. His second half has been such a difference. He hit his 19th home. He's, you know, he's on the verge of a 20 home run season, which if you told me that at the All-Star break, he was going to wind up at 20 home runs. Yeah, I would have asked what, you know, which game you were watching because I must have missed it. So, you know, that and the prospect of Baez coming back, those two, after time to adjust to New York, if it's going to come together, it's going to come together next year. So I'm hoping big changes are coming. But the best segue I can think of to get me the fuck out of this conversation is... <laughs> um, you know who was eliminated the exact same day as the Mets? And perhaps even more surprised, well, actually, not perhaps, 100% more surprising and devastating that they found themselves in that place on that date? The San Diego Padres. Honestly, you did that segue right before I was about to because I was going to say, well, good thing for the Mets. 
a team that more people expected way more out of had an epic collapse that started from May. It's like vaudeville. You had the cane ready to go just to yank me off if I didn't do it. Well, because this team was set up to be amazing. I mean, some people you had some people with the Mets sleeper pick in the East, but most people had not picked them to win their division. But the Padres were like in talks of unseating the Dodgers. Like it was going to be the Padres and the Dodgers. So that's early why on. Was, that was the rivalry this year. Oh, yeah. The April with the, the covering the eye from that fucking asshole Bauer and all that other stuff. Well, turns out the Giants took the role of the Padres this year and the Padres just epically collapsed despite having arguably the who will probably come in third for NL MVP Tatis he had an unreal season Machado had a all-star season as well so their pitching was just a complete disappointment and with the exception of Joe Musgrove totally fucking let them down because that was going to be their thing they were fucking sucking up every pitcher that became available it seemed like trading for pitchers and it just it just didn't come to fruition for them. And you and you got to ask yourself like how much was it the Giants specifically that fucked the Padres season, right? Because the Padres going into it, the thinking is we really just it's us and the Dodgers versus the world, right? Like they got they beat the Dodgers, they're going to win the division, sure thing. And then suddenly, you know, another player has entered the chat, right? And these <laughs> Giants come out of nowhere do what nobody expected and managed to keep it up. Like you remember earlier in the season, it was the Giants and the Red Sox that were doing that. Red Sox couldn't keep it up as we're seeing. The Giants have pulled it off all season. They are just not letting the Dodgers catch them. And so I don't think the Padres were equipped to deal with two teams in their division like that. They were preparing for one. They were not ready for what was coming. And uh, I mean, even you look now, the Giants are two games over the Dodgers. The fact that the NL West is not decided right now is crazy. It's crazy. Could not have seen that a couple months ago. It looked like it was a done deal at that point. Last week, I had done a, just a quick spreadsheet because I wanted to see like who in the Padres lineup took the biggest nosedives in the second half. And it turned out that basically all of them did. I don't have it in front of me, but the vast majority, their OPS, their batting average, everything dipped in the second half, some of them significantly. So it was just a classic case of now they started pressing because it wasn't like the Mets where they were up and down. It was it was basically they had like a almost 700 win percentage in May. And then from there, they gradually got worse each month until now in September. Their win percentage is like 293 or something crazy like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I segued out of the Mets, but like, you know, this is a parallel with the Mets. That's scary. Like what happened it looked like all the guys were there like what what other pieces did you really need like guys just didn't produce no i mean they fired larry rothschild mid-season which when they picked him up it was like uh, okay i mean <laughs> he was not good in well he was in new york for like fucking 20 years so towards the end i should say i i, I don't really i can't really think about how he was early on i'm not sure but towards the end he was not good a lot of pitchers came here lance lynn sonny gray to name a few they were shitty with new york then of course they went elsewhere and became uh unreal so when the padres then picked him up it was like why you're trying to build something out there like i guess he has the experience but mlb's weird regurgitation of gms managers coaches even if they don't do well in other places, is bizarre to me. Like, there's no one else the Padres could have fucking hired for that job. 
Well, it's kind of a double-edged sword because like on the one hand, there's that argument like, oh, you need experience. But then if you hire somebody without experience, they're going to get crucified if it doesn't go well for not having experience. So people are always going to find something to criticize. One thing, you know, just to wrap up with the NL wildcard, this has got interesting too, unfortunately, because Brandon Belt has a fractured thumb. Now he's been leading the Giants in home runs. So that's a major component of their success. They're not 100% sure. He's talking about maybe trying to play through it, but he's definitely going to miss some time. He's definitely going to be hampered at least somewhat. Uh, so that makes that interesting. As do the goddamn Cardinals, who are... Did they get their 17th in a row today? It was... Yeah, they did. They beat the Brewers for their 17th in a row. You know, speaking of things that nobody saw coming, the Cardinals have been unbelievably hot to the point where they just locked up a wild card spot. So we know which teams it's going to be. It's just who is going to win the West now. And with that being said, once we get everything figured out, we find out who is in the wild cards for the American League at the end of the week, hopefully. Hopefully, as if there's more to come after that. That is when we're going to find out. Yeah, I hope the season doesn't go into extras. <laughs> That's a lie. That would be great. Extra games. But go ahead. Breaking Ball's second annual postseason classic is going to be going down. Last year, we had that amazing extended postseason where there was more than half the league made the wild card, and it was chaotic, and it was awesome. And because of that, we did a bracket tournament. Uh, the winner, uh, Francesca, she won a Breaking Balls JBL speaker, and we decided we're going to do it again this year, even though the playoff field is cut in half. Yeah, I mean, if anything, this is going to create an even tighter race. I think more people are going to score points in the early rounds, be competitive throughout. I'm anticipating another crazy one this year. And obviously, since we don't have the field set in stone, we can't make our brackets yet. But I promise you, we will have them out as soon as it's set. And they're just going to have to be emailed to us by Monday night because the first wildcard game is on Tuesday. And by then, John and I will also have figured out what our bet's going to be. Yeah, so keep an eye on Twitter. That's where all this information is going to be coming out over the next week. And now let's get right into the voicemails. Our first voicemail is from Bubak. Break balls, land, what is going on? It's your favorite, Bubak. Listen, what an amazing series it was last weekend. Uh, Yanks brought the brooms and they swept up the Red Sox. You know, I don't know when Cora lost his mind. You know, the Yankees have done the same thing a few times this year. Let's see how many. Oh, wait, that's right. I have no idea because let's ask the uh, stat. Oh, that's right. We don't have a stat guru no more. Uh, but how many times did the Yanks gave up big shots, big monster dongs to uh, uh, Tuve for one? Um, I'm sure maybe some uh, Blue Jays. You know, I kind of I blocked those out of my brain. But there was two different times this weekend that Cora could have, let's just walk Stanton, get up, get around Stanton and go to Gallo. And he didn't. And uh, what happened? Uh, thou shall hangeth, and he will bangeth. Uh, Stantonian monster dongs. i like to see that. Let's see more of it. Let's go six more games. Let's finish the season strong. Let's go out on top. We're sitting pretty at number one in the wild card spot. Let's finish it. Let's stay there, and let's take a one-game wild card and get Tampa Bay. Let's go. 
Let's go, yes, let's go! Ubak, out! A few moments later. Hey, sorry that I, I'm, Jesus Christ, my voice is cracked there. I apologize for that. And I'm sorry that this is going to, two voicemails, it can't be done, I know, but maybe Ubak could just slide in there. Anyways, I totally forgot to mention that, I don't know if anybody knows, uh, you probably didn't see because, you know, I'm not that big of a Twitter celebrity, but you guys did make, you're now the number one spot of my go-to podcast, podcast list. And that's, I mean, there should be bells and whistles and maybe a, maybe a wah, 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 one of those things, you know, DJ Benjamin, I hope you can do that, wah, 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 uh, number one podcast of the Boobox go-to podcast list. Not that that means a whole hell of a lot, but it's there. And then one more thing that I think you guys are going to love, because it just, it's come to fruition that I have to get it out there. Marley Rivera is not a good reporter. I don't think. So I got Bubak out. Bubak, I totally agree with you. I, I mean, they couldn't walk Stanton in game two. Obviously, the bases were loaded, even though in hindsight, they would have been better off walking one run in as opposed to letting him hit a grand slam. But hindsight bias tells me that. But on Sunday night, I still don't understand why he didn't put Stanton on first. Judge was standing on second base. There was two outs in the inning, I'm pretty sure, at this point. And Gallo was up, who hadn't been having too much success. I mean, it is still Joey Gallo. So it's not like they're walking Stanton to then get to, like, a pitcher or something like that. So I don't really understand the logic. I guess maybe because of the matchup, righty on righty, even though fucking Judge just took... Adovino into the gap right before that so it's not exactly he it's not like he was being that effective against righties but hey that's baseball right they make these decisions sometimes the wrong decision works out well sometimes the right decision doesn't work out it's a fucking frustrating sport and you know Bubak I just want to add I, I was all set to absolutely eviscerate you for just so flagrantly laughing in the face of our new two minute limit on voicemails but then I found out that the podcast had made the number one rank on your <laughs> listings. And I think we could let that slide this week. That's pretty cool, man. Thank you. Bubak, I was fucking psyched. That literally made my weekend when I saw that tag. I was like, oh my God, I couldn't believe it. So we are so proud to be number one on your list. And hopefully we were able to hold that top spot. And this pod absolutely agrees with you. Marley Rivera is a really shitty reporter. Oh, <laughs> the whole thing with Brett Gardner. It's like, Brett Gardner showed some fundamental human decency to me. Wow, what a guy. Like, yeah, that's your standard, Marley, because you're a fucking idiot that asks terrible questions. Boobock, thank you so much for your call. Our next call is from Quinn. Hey, it's Quinn. I'm here to complain again, unsurprisingly. So um, just to follow up my message from last week, you asked if after the start with Phil Cuzzy, if he was at uh, 1,999 career strikeouts? The short answer is yes. Um, yeah, because he didn't get that call, third strike, and then and then the worst part, the day, that day was the 2011 10-year anniversary celebration, so they had like 40 old players, like old teammates of him. They were all like in the suite watching the game, and he didn't get it there. He instead got it um, the next Thursday during an afternoon game in Milwaukee on a YouTube broadcast. Yeah, there was, I think there were like 20,000 people there or something. And yeah, and it was also after he had given up a grand slam in the first inning. So it was like the most unceremonious circumstances possible. But anyways, um, 
it's fine because they made up for it by coming back uh, during both of those games and winning them both and then winning every game in between and then winning, like, every game a week before and after. Yeah, because it's devil magic season. Uh, that's all I got. Bye. Quinn, I just have to say, hearing that voicemail from you was very reminiscent of hearing a a voicemail from, like, a Yankees fan, and it made me realize how similar Yankees fans and Cardinals fans are in that they've experienced so much success in the last 20 years that their fans are somehow able to be disappointed during a 17-game win streak like the Cardinals are enjoying right now. You took the words out of my mouth. I was just going to say, you open your voicemail with your want to complain about something (laughs) on a 17-game winning streak. (laughs) Quinn, thank you so much for your call. 17 games! You can call here and complain even if it's a 30-game win streak. Our final call is from Nick. First, DJ, keep dropping that Fox football intro. It just gets me hyped. And for football fans, I'm sure it gets them hyped as well. You know, quick football question for John. You know, Brady travels back to Foxborough. You know, what's your most hated Brady moment? And what's the one where you're like, you know what, man? He's just this freaking good. And, you know... Do you want Lindor to be resigned? Do you want to give Noah Syndergaard a one-year deal? What, what are you staking? And Emily, the next six. You know, Jameson Tyon, big start tomorrow. Of course, I'm calling on a Monday. I think they'll go four and two in the last six. What are you thinking? And golf. I don't play golf a lot, but I do play golf. So whenever we can... Me and James versus you and Emily in golf. Let's get it. James will probably suck, so it's up to the me and John to carry the teams probably. But you know what? Emily's probably good as well. So let's let's get our let's get our Billy Madison on. Actually, I said the wrong name. Let's get our Happy Gilmore on. My bad. And let's play some golf. Wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. Hang on. Cut the music. I'm I'm not doing that. What, are you kidding me? Okay, first off, I know Nick's a Patriots fan, so I know what he's trying to do. He's trying to get me, a Jets fan, to talk about Brady, and I'm not going to do it because my most hated Brady moment is his entire Patriots career, Nick. <laughs> and the one moment I was like, oh, he's just that good is when he left the Patriots and still won a Super Bowl, showing that it had nothing to do with Belichick. It was just Brady. The whole time, it was Brady. I'd be more concerned about Mac Jones throwing three interceptions last week. How about that? How about, like, the current Patriots? Um, actually, I said I wasn't going to talk about this, so I'm going to stop now. And my favorite Brady moment, not that anyone asked, is this past year's Super Bowl parade that they had in Tampa where he got absolutely annihilated and we had the amazing video of him being escorted out of the party by somebody completely fucking wasted. And it was great. Because Tampa Bay Brady is likable and Patriots Brady was despicable. <laughs> despicable. And I honestly, I've never played golf before. I do think that if I practice and stuff, I'd probably be pretty good at it. But uh, I'm, I'll still play. Fuck it. I'll still get on that course. I don't care. I'll take 80 mulligans. <laughs> I was going to say, wait, do I really have to get stuck with Emily? I know she doesn't play golf. I mean, I'm bad. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, come on. 
And Tyone, unfortunately, he seemed to have maybe, I don't want to say come back too early. He went through a whole rehab assignment, but he came out of the game, uh, I believe it was sometime in the maybe the second or third inning, ankle still bothering him, and he's the one who called the trainer over. So he was pitching pretty well. He gave up one run before that. Um, it's a shame. The Yankees were pretty deep pitching-wise, so I'm not too concerned about it moving forward, especially because they still had to kind of stretch him out a little bit between now and, I guess, hopefully the postseason. So I don't know. He's a big question mark as far as moving forward. I know. Three interceptions, right? Brady would never do that. Nick, thank you so much for your call, and thank you to all of our callers. You guys are awesome. Anyone else listening wants to get in on the fun, feel brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call. 631-820-7377. Friend of the show, Nick, actually just provided the perfect segue for John and I, because something that I've realized over the last week or so, and I never thought of before, but all I could think of is how fucking psyched our guys on teams like the Marlins, the Rangers, all these bottom-dwelling teams, how psyched are they to only have like six games left of this <laughs> six-month-long season? Oh, dude, in the in the first Mets game of the doubleheader today, there was a play where Stroman and Jazz Chisholm wound up on first base like at the same time, and the momentum was carrying them the same direction. And Jazz just like jumped up on Stroman's back and went for a quick little piggyback ride. Like These guys are ready to go golfing. So we were going to come up with a top six of sorts, and we came up with some funny ones, but truth be told, they were slightly mean-spirited, so we decided to go more positive with it. So our final segment, because it's not really a top segment, just we each picked the three bottom-dwelling teams. I have all the American League teams. John has the National League teams. All the teams have finished in last place in their division. We decided to look through the season and try to find something positive. That happened for these teams because it is baseball, so it's not all bad all the time for shitty teams. No, you're right, Emily, and you're right. We don't want to be mean-spirited about this, which, is, you know, I might say something like the Washington Nationals' high point was May 2nd, which was Max Scherzer's last complete game for them when they didn't know it. Aww. But that would be mean, so I'm not going to say that, right? So <laughs> my number three, I'm actually splitting time here between the Marlins and the Nats because I know we're supposed to pick the last place team. They've been jockeying for last place in the NL East, so I'm just going to go with both because who knows how it's going to wind up. For them, the high point, it wasn't so much a moment as it was they had a player each of them that they were able to fixate on and just, you know, hope for the future. For the Marlins, it was Jazz Chisholm. Pretty fucking solid rookie season from this guy, and he is an electric player. His presence on the field is fantastic. Again, keeping in mind he's a rookie, 17 home runs, 22 stolen bases, 110 hits this year. Pretty solid, very promising. Even He's one of those guys where even, like, as a Mets fan, I enjoy watching him play. For the Nationals, even more so... And way more dramatically, because as we all know, they sold the farm come the trade deadline. Juan Soto. If you're a Nationals fan, Juan Soto absolutely carried you through the second half of this season. Dude is currently slashing 321, 471, 549. He's an OPS over one, which is stupid. 29 home runs. He's the only player in baseball with more walks than strikeouts. 139 to 86. He has a 168 weighted runs created plus 6.7 FR. Just you could go on and on about this kid. NL and again, MVP if, candidate. If MVP candidate, if you're the Nats, he was your season and a bright spot at that. Now, my number three is the Texas Rangers, and this was the most difficult of the three losers this year because they did not have much. 
So much so that I almost went with the fact that they were the recipients of two no-hitters at their home field. The Padres' first no-hitter in franchise history was pitched against them, and I believe that was April 9th or April 7th. It was right around my birthday. And Corey Kluber pitched his no-hitter versus the Rangers in Arlington on their new field. But they actually had something kind of good happen. From May 21st to the 23rd, they had a three-game set against the Astros, and they swept the Astros with two walk-offs. So that was a highlight of their season. I mean, it didn't get any better from there, especially because their only good player, actually both of them, the pitcher Kyle Gibson and then Joey Gallo, got traded away. So it's been (laughs) brutal for Texas fans, for the Texas fan, rather. All right, so uh, the number two kind of, you know, bright moment for a team that's in last place. I got the Diamondbacks. This one is really straightforward because we all remember what happened on Tyler Gilbert's first MLB start. Kid threw a no-hitter on his first start. Doesn't get much better than that. He's currently on the 10-day IL. He has left elbow inflammation. But you know what? He wound up, for again, for his rookie season, pitched 40 innings, 4.26 FIP, half an FWAR. Not too bad after that. But, you know, starting out with a bang like that, that's something that'll get you through some of the darkest days of the season. Mets didn't have a no-hitter this year, I'll tell you that. The number two team that I have was the Twins, which of course is hilarious because historically they play really bad versus the Yankees. The Yankees are like have like a 700 win percentage versus them or something all time. They are undefeated in the postseason versus the Twins since uh, 2002, I believe. Their highlight this year was their walk-off win versus the Yankees on June 10th. Cole was pitching. This was the... First start for Cole after Donaldson had some shit to say about the foreign substance shit or whatever. He struck him out twice. It was looking like it was a great game. The Yankees are going into the ninth inning. Chapman's coming in to close it. This was before Chapman's real meltdown. This was like, I think, the start of it. The Twins proceeded to score four runs that inning and win the game. He gave up a single, then a game-tying home run to Josh Donaldson. Then he gave up another single, and then he gave up the walk-off to Nelson Cruz. So even though the Yankees won that series, that was one of many where they could have swept, but they had a loss so bad that it made it feel like they lost the fucking series. So congrats, Twins. That was your highlight of the season. All right, so my number one was the tough one for me because it's the Pirates, first of all. The Pirates are so bad that it was genuinely hard to find anything to latch onto without sounding mean-spirited, so <laughs> it, it just is what it is. I'm sorry. I, I considered briefly making it John Nagowski's brief tenure with the Pirates. His walk-off. Yeah, you know, I thought about that, but I don't need to throw the Mets under the bus anymore. <laughs> uh, and also, I mean, that guy took a sharp nosedive, too. He got DFA'd, so... I'm going to go all the way back to April for this one. Oh, boy. Tuesday, April 27, 2021. They beat the Royals 2-1 to to catapult themselves to 12-11, and (laughs) the only day of the entire season that they found themselves over 500, and we're not counting the fact that they won opening day because that's bullshit. (laughs) The The kicker to this was at the time, you wouldn't think this, the Kansas City Royals had the best record in baseball. They were 14-7 and on April 23rd, and the Pirates edged them out to go over 500, promptly returned to 500 the next day, and it was all downhill from there except for that brief blip of Nagowski bullshit. But, you know, he's gone now. He can't hurt us anymore. 
much like the Pirates. My number one is a, I don't want to say rival. I feel like that implies like they're actually good and there's some beef there. You're they not going to give them that dignity? A division mate, I guess is the word to call it. A divisional it. acquaintance. The Orioles, um, I can't do anything for their record. They finished with the worst record in the American League. Well, they're not finished yet, but as of today, they are 50 and 106. I, I believe in them. I don't know if they ever were over 500 at any point in time, but I do know that John Means pitched the first no-hitter in Orioles history since like 1950-something, and it was a drop third strike away from being a perfect game. So this wasn't some no-hitter where he had like three walks or whatever. So this was a great moment for the Orioles. This wasn't no Madison Bumgarner seven-inning no-hitter <laughs> bullshit. Well, we don't refer to that as a no-hitter, okay? That is a uh, hit-not-recorded, technically, we seven innings. We have no-hit standards on this podcast, <laughs> damn it. And Cedric Mullins, who I am very upset to have to face for like the next at least six years because he's still under team control for that long, he recorded the first 30 home run, 30 stolen base season in Orioles history. Now, what both of these bright spots tell me is that out of these three teams, the Orioles are the closest to maybe not being this bad, that they have guys <laughs> who are on the roster who are doing great things. They just don't have a great staff around them. So <laughs> them plus Moncastle, and they have some promising things that in a few years they might actually finish third or something in the division. And this year's close to sort of being okay, but not quite, but maybe they'll be okay in a couple years award goes to. <laughs> that about wraps it up for Breaking Balls this week. We want to thank all of our listeners. You guys are amazing. And of course, our callers, anyone else listening wants to get in on the fun, feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call. 631-820-7377. You can also find us on Twitter at BreakBallsPod. And we want to thank our amazingly talented producer and engineer, DJ Bingington. You can find him on Twitter as well, at DJ B-I-N-G-I-N-G-T-O-N. And we will catch you guys next week. <laughs>